Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of Sparking Wholeness, I want to talk a little bit about not just eating for mental health, but eating for mental wealth. I feel very strongly about this, and I'm really excited to dive into this solo episode to kind of give you my heart um, just from my experience and as a health coach also. So in episode one, I talked about how much I grew up loving food, loving sugar, loving to eat until I made myself sick. I have always loved food. So I want to dive into the topic of eating for improved mental health, nourishing our brains and our bodies. I am not perfect at this by any means, but it's really important because as I remind myself, I am managing a chronic illness every day. Being aware of triggers and things that impact my mental and my physical well-being because they are connected is key. So disclosure, I don't want to demonize sugar. I don't want to demonize carbs because if you look up eating for mental health, I think a lot of times those are the first things that you're going to see. I'm, I'm not setting out to do that. I don't want to be another person telling you no. As a survivor of the abstinence and true love weights movement in high school who later got knocked up in college, I can tell you how putting something completely off limits works. Spoiler, it doesn't. So I do believe that sometimes we can make certain behaviors, food, activities so off limits that it makes them all the more appealing. Sugar has been that way for me and for many people I know. So I don't want to focus solely on the nutritional composition of sugar and refined carbs and what it does for brain health or whole body health. I don't want to be a downer because here's the thing. This is so important. Before I get into anything else, please hear me out here. Your relationship with food affects your mental health as well. If you are stressed out about what you're eating or what you can't eat, that sets off a fight or flight response in the body that is not health promoting. A body in stress will not digest. Got it? Now, there is comfort in food, and that's a good thing. There is joy found in a good meal with friends, in a special celebration, in a holiday gathering. So the last thing I would say is you have to turn down dessert at every special event because it's going to cause some mental health relapse. It probably won't. Now, if you have a leaky gut and food sensitivities, it might cause some triggers. I don't know your body and your situation. It will take trial and error and individualized support. I cannot give you a one-size-fits-all nutrition solution, and it really doesn't even exist. But I do want you to be aware of some of the most important things that I've found that hinder and benefit my mental health based on the latest research and based on my own experience. So that's what this is really going to get into. How can we improve our mental health through what we put on our plate? First things first, let's talk about alcohol. 
There is emerging research coming out that American women have a problem with alcohol consumption more so than ever before, and this does impact mental health functioning. Alcohol is a neurotoxin, and it does deplete beneficial gut bacteria, and it can cause candida overgrowth. It impacts blood sugar and cognitive function. And don't forget, it's also addictive for some people. I live in an area where mommy wine culture is common. It's the norm. And sure, there are benefits to red wine. <laughs> there are lots of polyphenols, and there have been a lot of research on that. But remember that most of the research on red wine benefits is coming from a glass or two a day. And those aren't, you know, <laughs> what what most of us would like to consider a glass, right? Like that's a, a regular standard glass of wine is a pretty small pour. I know it's very common for some women to go through half a bottle or even a bottle in one sitting. Now, I've written this in a blog post before. I talked about this a couple episodes ago. But remember that anytime we are relying on an outside substance, whether it's wine or sugar or spending money, shopping, whatever, in an attempt to reduce internal anxiety and pain, in an attempt to reduce unpleasant emotions, that can be really dangerous. So if you're drinking coffee all day, if you're, you know, riding a cortisol high throughout the day, then drinking glasses of wine at night to attempt to wind down is going to cause your mental health to suffer a little bit. Alcohol can interfere with deep quality sleep. I know a lot of people feel like um, drinking a little bit before bed that it improves their sleep, but that's not the case. So if your sleep isn't quality, you're more likely to struggle with blood sugar fluctuations throughout the day. And so relying on something like alcohol or even over-the-counter pain medications or or whatever it is to get you to sleep is not the best thing. So while, while we're on the subject, let's get into sugar, okay? Again, I don't want to go into extreme restriction mode, but it must be noted that many of the panic attacks, the anxiety issues, the moodiness that we experience on a regular basis, it, they are influenced by excess sugar in the diet. If you think about it from an ancestral standpoint, the way we eat sugar these days, it, it really doesn't make sense. Like sure, carbs are an energy source and even glucose is necessary for brain health. I'm not knocking that. But think about our ancestors. They were happy to get a few berries, maybe some honey if they were lucky, and a little bit of grains to function throughout their day. But I don't think our bodies were ever designed to eat nutrient-poor refined sugar and carbs every two to three hours for 14 hours. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that promote this idea of snacking throughout the day and you must eat every two to three hours and da 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 da, da. I was told that for so many years. But we have this thing called a migrating motor complex in our gut and that in our gut needs a good four to five hours between meals to clean out the junk that we consume, not the junk, it, to do things with the nutrients as well, not just the junk, but it needs some time. Think of it as the internal gut housekeeper. It needs that time to clean things away so that we can absorb, so that we can be ready for our next meal. So if you're consistently finding yourself hungry every two to three hours, you need to think about how how to solve that problem. And I will go into that in a second. But we know this also impacts insulin resistance, which is a huge problem these days that can impact inflammation. And that also is going to throw off ghrelin and leptin. Those are two key hunger hormones. They cause us to feel hungry. 
and they they help us to stay full. And when those are off, that's why we find ourselves always hungry or um, never feeling full, never feeling satisfied. And then, you know, you throw in the fact that we're stressed all the time. And that's also going to impact our cortisol load, which is why I used to have an afternoon crash every day around 2 p.m. And that's really, really common. Again, this is really normal, but it, it's not optimal for our bodies. And so along the topic of food, I'll go into a quick story. Um, you know, every once in a while, our, like I said, I am not super per perfect strict with any way of eating because that causes me way too much stress. And sometimes, you know, you're for our family, we have a pretty big Sunday. And so we go to church early in the morning, we volunteer, we do different things. And when we're on our way home, we just want to pick up whatever's easy, whatever's fast. And sometimes that is fast food. So what I've noticed is when I eat fast food, and this isn't all the time, I don't eat fast food as much as I used to for sure, um, because I do notice it affects my mental health. But when I eat fast food, I found that I am hungry probably like an hour after eating, maybe even sooner. And what I've come to realize is it's because a lot of the fast food that we eat is inexpensive. And so they have used the makers of the food have used ingredients that may not be the highest quality, that may not be packed with the richest nutrients. Therefore, our bodies are not getting that nutrient load that we need. And so my body tells me it's hungry an hour afterwards because really what it's craving is something that's more nutrient dense. So this is one of the things that I've learned just as I've been going through my own health journey with my mental health and with my physical health and gut health and everything. But it is really important to balance our meals with protein, fiber, and healthy fat. That helps our glucose metabolism out. It helps for us to stay fuller longer. And again, like I said, one of the concerns with processed food is that because the wheat that we eat, the enriched wheat, is is stripped away of the bran and germ to make this super wonderful, chewy, uh, enjoyable texture that we love, we miss out on the fiber. The grains that our ancestors had and that they consumed were filled with tons of fiber. And they had micronutrients that we don't get in our grains today. And so because... We stripped away wheat from those, we stripped the micronutrients away from the wheat. I think it was the late 90s, our government decided, well, let's add in synthetic folic acid to all wheat products so that people are getting folic acid because folic acid is really beneficial to prevent neural tube defects in babies and et cetera, et cetera. But if you didn't listen to my podcast on MTHFR, that can be really toxic. Synthetic folic acid, all folic acid could be really toxic for somebody with a mental health issue. And then you factor in gluten itself has been linked to mental health problems for over 50 years. There's a really early study done on schizophrenic patients. And they found, I think this was like in the 1960s, don't quote me on this, go, go look it up yourself. But um, I think it was the 1960s, they took a whole bunch of schizophrenic patients, they took them off gluten, and they found that their episodes decreased tremendously. So I don't want to go into any more about that, but just know that this enriched wheat, this processed, ultra-processed 
mutated wheat that we eat is missing fiber and fiber is a huge part of balancing blood sugar and keeping you full. So instead of freaking out and obsessing about taking away every little gram of sugar, um, you know, and taking away all the wheat and everything, think about what else you could be adding in. I've said it before, but I really do believe in addition over restriction. And one of the principles I was taught in nutrition school is the concept of crowding in nutrients in order to decrease cravings. So when I first started improving my mental health through nutrition, supplementation, I really didn't do anything extreme. I think people, we just get fixated on these detoxes and these cleanses and I have to do everything now. But my process was very slow, very gradual. And I noticed as I took the right supplements and probiotics to restore my deficiencies, my taste for sugar decreased drastically and then my mood improved. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, don't start off with supplements, you know, because that's not the, that's just a quick fix. That's not really going to solve all of the issues. And I, and I do get that. Like we don't want supplements to become just another thing to take, just like medication. And like, you just keep adding on more and more supplements. And I totally get that. But for some people, just like with medication, just like with like, um, psychiatric medication, it's the same thing, right? Like sometimes people just need a little, a little support to get them on the healthy path. Um, mentally, I think it's the same thing with supplements. Sometimes we need a few supplements, a B complex vitamin, probiotics, magnesium, whatever it is. And that's going to change the way we approach food. And it might even change the way uh, we metabolize food and the way food tastes to us. And I notice for me, things that are super sweet that before I had to eat nonstop, I, I, it doesn't appeal to me as much anymore now that I have restored these deficiencies in my body. All right. So while we're on that subject of fiber, I want to keep talking about fiber for a minute because I do want to throw out how important it is for our gut health to get multiple servings of vegetables in a day. Usually, typically, I try to get at least five different veggies every day. It's kind of a game I play with myself. Um, But this is a a great source of prebiotic fiber, and that feeds the good bacteria in my gut. Um, That helps to increase short-chain fatty acid production, which is very beneficial for mental health. But you have to remember that veggies themselves have really powerful phytonutrients, and colors make a difference. So just a quick, you know, if you want to save this part or like take notes real fast. Like, let me talk about the colors because this is really cool. Purple is beneficial for brain health. So you think about like your, um, your dark purple cabbages or, um, let's see what else is purple, your grapes, things like that. Um, red reduces inflammation. So we've got bell peppers and tomatoes. I would be the first things I would think of, uh, strawberries. Orange is great for reproductive health. Again, I think of orange bell peppers. Um, Let's see what else. I'm probably forgetting something else. Yellow improves digestive health. So, you know, I know so many people are struggling with digestive issues. And a lot of that, I will say, probably comes from, I'll just make a plug for this. Uh, You need to go to episode two of the podcast and listen to the talk about trauma because digestive health and trauma are very much intertwined. But I'll stop there. Yellow. Go for yellow if you need to improve your digestive health. Yellow squash is one of my favorite things. We have butternut squash also. That's yellow. Spaghetti squash. Lots of yellow squashes out there. Many other things that are yellow. 
green is beneficial for heart health. So I love that. Um, there is a family history in my family with, of heart issues. So think about celery and cucumbers and broccoli and all sorts of leafy greens. I mean, leafy greens themselves, well, I'll get into that later. So if you're like me and you don't like rules, you don't like food rules, especially, um, you don't want to be told, you don't want to do anything. You're just told to do. Um, and that makes you feel like you're being constrained Then make this a game. How many veggies can I sneak into this dish? What else can I add for a pop-up green color? Or what can I do for orange? One of my favorite things that I do that I have posted about quite a bit is that I use a cheese grater. I take a cheese grater and I will grate a green zucchini or, oh, there's another green thing, or a yellow squash in just about everything I make. It blends well with ground beef, with rice. I make little sprinkle rice for my kids. They don't even know it's there. Even scrambled eggs. You can put a yellow squash and scrambled eggs and it looks like cheese. Nobody knows it's there. Uh, muffins. I have a recipe on my website for muffins that you make by um, sneaking in veggies that way. It really doesn't take a lot of time. And it's just one more way to add in some more fiber and some vitamins, nature's vitamins, right? God's vitamins. <laughs> so this is where also I will go into leaky green, leafy greens, not leaky. Sorry, I'm thinking leaky gut. Leafy greens are great for your gut, but um, dark leafy greens blend well into just about everything. Now, people are weird about kale. I know that kale kind of has um, a polarizing flavor, but spinach, y'all, you don't even taste spinach. So blend that spinach up. I would, I will do that for soups. I will do that for spaghetti sauce. Um, at one point, I put so many greens in my spaghetti sauce. It kind of changed colors. It was not a red sauce. It was like this weird, I don't even know. It didn't look great. It tasted fabulous. It didn't look so great, but they are so beneficial for brain health, especially for those of us who have that dreaded MTHFR and we struggle to get enough folate naturally. I throw my spinach and kale into smoothies, into salads. Um, it's really good to saute kale with some Kerrygold butter and a little bit of spices, uh, add it with steak, put it with your eggs. It really doesn't take long and it's not complicated, but my brain thanks me. One of my favorite things I've been doing lately, I love arugula. Arugula has such a wonderful peppery flavor naturally. You really don't need much to it. So I'll get a spinach and arugula blend, put it down on a plate, fry up two eggs real fast. I love to have a runny yolk. When you have a runny yolk, you're um, going to get more nutrients from the egg yolk that way. And choline is a nutrient that many of us are deficient in, especially females, especially when women are pregnant, you need to have choline. So um, now I don't know if you can have a runny egg, but still eat a hard boiled egg. You'll get your choline. You'll be great. Uh, but yeah, so I, I will put two fried eggs on a bed of spinach and arugula. Then I drizzle a little bit of balsamic over it, salt and pepper, done. It's my egg salad and it's really tasty. Now it's funny because my mom used to drive me crazy. She would always order salads at restaurants and be like, Oh, I got to get my greens today. I, I just need to have my greens. And I thought that was super weird. I'm still not a salad girl at restaurants because I typically, typically go for whatever foodie flavor combination sounds the best to me at that time. But I definitely get where she's coming from now because I have become that person going, oh, I got to get my greens in. So as I mentioned before, balancing my meals with protein and healthy fats is key. And this is where I want to throw in a plug for fat. Okay. 
Fat is necessary to absorb the goodness of veggies. Fat is necessary for our brains. Fat is necessary for our hormones. Fat is even necessary for our endocannabinoid system, as I will be mentioning very soon in a separate episode dedicated to that. But the low fat movement ruined good fat for us. Thank you, Susan Powder. No, thank you. <laughs> the rise in processed carbs, the decrease in healthy fats has led to a lot of issues with inflammation and blood sugar. And it's really a shame because we took, we got out of the habit of using just, you know, really good pure butter from quality animal sources and started using margarine and this processed stuff that I think margarine, the origin of it, is it used to be used to grease machinery during World War II or may, no, maybe not World War II, it was before that. I don't know. Look up the history of margarine and you're probably never going to want to use it again. Same thing for vegetable oil. Look up how, what a process it is for vegetable oil to get to the state it is. And that's probably not something you're going to want to put in your body, but that's all I'm going to say. All right. So my favorite fats to cook with are olive oil, coconut oil, grass-fed butter, ghee, and avocado oil. Now, there's still not as much research out there on avocado oil and its benefits, but um, I, I, for sure go with the other ones. Olive oil is best at lower temperatures, so you don't want to cook olive oil at too high of a temperature, but all the other ones can withstand high heat without oxidizing. We do not want oxidation to happen with our oils because that's not helpful for our brains. That can be really problematic. One of the issues, I have to talk about this real fast, one of the biggest issues with the way that we are eating right now and how it's effect, affecting our brain health is that we have an imbalance of omega-6 and omega-3 fats. Both are really important and both are great, but when you see omega-6 and omega-3 ratios at 40 to 1, that is not good. They need to be balanced. When they're in a ratio that's unbalanced like that, that means that more inflammation is going to happen. That raises your risk for brain health problems along, among so many other things. Omega-6 oils are found in industrial seed oils. So that's, like I mentioned before, your vegetable oils. Um, that is used in pretty much all processed and packaged food and breads, really anything that we're going to eat that's pre-made, be an ingredient reader. Um, and here's, here's a fun activity to do when you're done listening to this, or maybe do it while you're listening to this if, at your house, if you are at your house. Go to your pantry and look at the labels on all of your packaged foods, your chips, your baking mixes, your popcorn, your bread, your nuts. Um, nuts is a big one. We think nuts, oh, they're healthy. They're nuts. Look at the oils. Taco shells, basically anything packaged, look at what oils are listed you likely are going to see vegetable, corn, safflower oil, canola, palm, soybean, even in the health foods. So I will make a prediction that just judging on that alone, you have far more foods containing those kinds of oils than things like sardines, anchovies, and salmon. Um, how many of those do you eat every day? <laughs> We just really aren't eating sardines and wild-caught salmon these days. It's First of all, wild-caught salmon is pretty expensive. And sardines, um, yeah, like that's not super appetizing for a lot of people. And then you counter, count, I'm sorry, I'm, then you take into account plant forms of omega-3s that are in flax seeds and chia seeds. 
and walnuts, they don't convert great to the absorbable form in our body. So those are forms of omega-3s that we can get from plants, but they're just not going to be as absorbable as those animal forms of omega-3s. So the best thing you can do is to limit your vegetable oils, but add in all those other oils that I mentioned. When you're cooking, be sure to cook with some of those other oils that aren't going to cause that omega-6, omega-3 balance to get out of whack. Uh, and then, you know, most people are going to have to supplement with an omega-3 product to get things back into balance. That's really important. And you want to look for um, a quality omega-3 product that you know the fish is coming from a quality source. The best thing you can do when it comes to oils, if you are a salad e eater, is stop buying bottled salad dressings. Like if you are going to do just one thing for your health this week, throw away the bottled salad dressings and learn to make your own. Use olive oil, lemon, a vinegar you like, and random spices. You cannot go wrong. This is going to make your salads more filling and it's going to make them more nutrient dense because the oils are going to help help you absorb the fat-soluble vitamins that are in your vegetables. Okay, that's super important. So here's a recipe that I like. And again, you might want to pause it here. You might want to take some notes real fast. But it's, it's, a, it's called a maple Dijon vinaigrette. So you're going to take two tablespoons of avocado or olive oil, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon maple syrup, and one and a half teaspoons Dijon mustard. Add a little salt and pepper to taste. Shake it all up. Store it in your fridge or use it immediately. I love this stuff. It's really good on a salad with apples and walnuts and goat cheese. I love goat cheese. Um, just throw it together. See what happens. Make extra. I think you'll really like it. Now, to be honest, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't intend to spend that long talking about fat, but the truth is for mental health purposes, fat is so crucial. The amount that you get will depend on you as an individual and also your genetics. Personally, I feel better when I'm, eat, I'm eating high fat, lots of veggies, a little animal protein, and limited grains. But that is so different for everyone. My body is sensitive to a lot of things that other people can tolerate without a problem, like caffeine and other stimulants that make me manic. So it's important to play around with different types of food and find the combo that's best for you. I did not spend, I didn't plan on spending a lot of time on talking about meat. Um, but I think one thing that's so important with meat is that quality is better than quantity. We don't need to have a lot of animal protein or protein at all, but we do need to have quality protein. And I've said this before and on some post in the past, but, um, animals should really only have one bad day. And that is the day that they die. So animals that live a more quality life, their, their meat is going to be better. They're going to have more nutrients. And I'm a big fan of grass-fed ground beef. Adding that in 
for me has really helped my brain fog. It's really helped with some mental clarity. I don't need a lot. Like I said, um, quantity is not as important, but having a little bit, I genetically, I'm genetically predisposed to being deficient in iron and B vitamins. And so grass fed ground beef is really important. Same thing for pasture raised eggs. Um, that's a really great way to get some nutrients and some omega threes as well, going back to fats. So the last thing I want to mention about nutrition for mental health, if you have come this far into my rambling state about food, um, listen, Food is a great place to start because it's something we can control to an extent. I have to touch on the other things that we consume that are not food. For example, relationships, stress, sleep habits, work environment, movement or lack of movement, all of those things are going to impact our mental health. There are many people out there with perfect eating habits who are very, very sick. Food is not everything, okay? I hope you've heard that from me today. As much as I love talking about food and I love going into all of these amazing foods that we have in nature that do so many wonderful benefit, beneficial things for our bodies and food is medicine, I do not want to stress you out about this, okay? The nourishment that we get beyond food can sometimes have a greater impact on our healing than anything else. So please, 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 I hope that you will be encouraged by that. As we head into a new year, a new decade, I have many upcoming episodes devo devoted to more than just food nutrition. I did not heal from my illness because I learned about the importance of omega-3 oils. Those are helpful. Those are tools but I healed because I learned the importance of a good sleep schedule, movement, breathing and meditation, supplements, being vulnerable in relationships, addressing trauma and shame through counseling, and adjusting my mindset and the way I talk to myself. Those things are key to nourishing myself mentally. So I hope that you took some encouragement from this episode. I hope that it was beneficial for you, but just know that come 2020, we are going to tackle a whole variety of subjects devoted to mental health that go far beyond nutrition. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.